Gratitude That's my everyday All right, what's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Quantum Coffee. I got a special, special treat for you all today. One of my good friends, Austin Floyd, makes an appearance. He's actually my next door neighbor, so he just walked on over. And I've been looking forward to this podcast for quite a while because this man is one of the most intelligent men I've ever met in real life. Seriously. And it's he's such a an amazing dude with such clean energy that you don't... I didn't realize he was so smart until like six months after I met him. And I just started realizing like, man, you really are a deep thinker and you can put all these concepts together and the way he pulls information from all these books. And this conversation was definitely one of my favorites by far, just because this man has such a deep intellect and curiosity about reality and, and answering these unanswerable questions of the universe in a very practical way. And he's been on his own journey, very wise soul. Um, and I'm so stoked to go on this journey of life with him. Um, yeah, I won't, I won't keep you too long. Before we could jump into the, the podcast, though, I have a special guest here because we just came out with our new podcast, reality show type audio experience called Love and Life. Sarah, what's up? Hey. Hey, everyone. How you doing? I'm doing so good. Tell them a little bit about Love and Life. What oh, to expect? Well, I mean, if you are interested in our life and how we live and how we relate and everything that's going on with our life, then it's basically all in Love and Life. It's a deep dive behind the scenes to everything about us. Yeah. And it's live right now. It's six episodes. We released it in kind of like a season and it chronicles our journey from when we first met to, you know, having a baby, the actual, you know, intercourse that we did to, no, no, just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then we got married and we're actually working on season two right now, which Sarah is literally about to pop. I think by the time this uh, releases, we will be parents. Yeah. How are you feeling? Goodness. I'm so excited. I can't wait to get this little guy out. I'm just coaxing him out every day. I'm like, we're ready for you, baby Luca. Come on into the world. Practicing opening my magical portal to mm. let him out. <laughs> yep. It's going to be one hell of an experience. And I'm really excited to, to go on this with you and share the journey with all of you who are listening. So go check out Love and Life podcast. You can go to uh, Love, the letter N, Life uh, podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also go to lovenlifepodcast.com and uh, put your email in and be available to receive premium content. Yeah. We'll send you notifications when the episodes go live, future seasons, but we definitely won't be sending like a ton of content out from there. But if you do just want to be notified, um, get And we'd get love to uh, hear from you also. We're working on a, a premium model probably won't be too expensive, but where you can kind of get behind the scenes stuff in between uh, the seasons that we release, some special episodes, um, some opportunities to connect with us and kind of jump on calls with us and a lot of different creative ideas. We'd love to hear from you. If it's something you're interested in, reach out to us uh, either on Instagram or my newsletter, which is in the show notes. Also want to plug growmotely.com because we're doing our own ad reads right now. And <laughs> I'm really excited for you and the business you're launching. Tell everybody what it is and where it's at and how they can find it. Thank you, babe. I'm so excited. We've yeah just pretty much started opening up the beta platform, but Growmotely is the world's first remote work platform. So end-to-end for companies and candidates all over the world to find each other and connect and all of the payroll is managed within the program, within the platform, sorry. And we have a benefits program, 
which is pretty unique. And something I'm really, really excited about is is this benefits program and being able to have um, a plug and play experience. So people from all over the world have different needs when it comes to their benefits um, or perks, whatever you might want to call it, that come with your employment. And the platform allows each individual to choose what they want to spend their benefits dollars on, whether it's therapy or coaching or health insurance. We've got like so many options coming up, but yeah, super exciting. Beautiful. And I'm really excited about that as well. I actually found a couple of my team members through, you know, her and the platform. (laughs) And it's really quite special uh, and really excited to go on this journey with you, babe. I'm so proud of you. Um, Also, what I'm working on, the Heart Collective, that's H-A-R-T, the Heart Collective dot com uh, exclusive community built for former male professional athletes. We're also working on a bunch of master classes and master courses for everybody to drop in, which is really exciting. Um, we're kind of continuing to evolve. There's going to be a meditation course I'm working on right now. So if that's something you're interested in, go check out the website. Also, I don't know if we said the website for you. Gromotly, it's gromotly.com. G-R-O-W-M-O-T. Am I spelling right? Yeah. E-L-Y. E-L-Y.com. <laughs> Links will be in the show notes. Links will all be in the show notes. And uh, without further ado, um, buckle up because this is an amazing conversation. Love you all. Austin, what's up, brother? What's up, man? All of you listening, you guys are in for a real treat. Austin is really intelligent dude and he has a perspective on a wide variety of topics and I'm excited to, to drop in with you today, man. Um, but go ahead and introduce yourself, who you are and what you're up to now. And then we'll kind of drop into your journey and discuss some of these unanswerable questions of the universe. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. I'm uh, my name is Austin Floyd. Um, I think a lot, probably too much. Um, what does thinking mean? What does thinking mean? What is thinking? It's confirming or denying theories. Mm. I feel like that's, that's my, Simplified version. Yeah, everything can be figured out. Um, at least, like, every- well, that's exciting because I want to figure out the universe. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll we'll dive into that. From a conceptual standpoint, uh, I don't know. I guess like I also have this thing where like I'm I have like too much integrity in what I say, and like right now I have thoughts negating what I'm saying, mm. which gets super annoying. It's an internal battle. It is, and I'm reading a book that uh, Naval Ravikant just recommended which like he never recommends books. So when he does and he says like this one actually increased the intelligence that he has. What's the book about? It's the universe. Oh, and so what's like, it called? I got to here. Yeah, look I'm it up. up. It's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, the beginning of infinity. The beginning of infinity. Yeah. Which is a, like a uh, like a contradiction, right? Exactly. Okay. And the whole thing, like at the beginning, he's talking a lot about how like, you know, empiricism is like anything that we see or anything that like comes through our senses exists. And he's just talking about how like every, all of our ways to test whether or not something is real or like think like this is right or not negate itself. Because like by doing that, by testing it, we are proving it wrong in the way that we are testing it. Yeah, I mean, it's like every scientific theory you have to put in the effect of the observer effect. Yeah. Like the person observing is the thing that is determines the theory, whether it's proved or not, because in reality, we're all infinite potential. And so the observer comes into what is creating our reality. And then we create all these theories that, you know, continue to evolve, but were they even true in the first place? Yep. And 
The problem with science in the way that it's done now is one, most scientists don't even understand Papere, uh, Popper, Karl Popper, and mm-hmm. his ideas behind the logic of scientific discovery. Tell me more. So it's it's funny because like these are like meta fields that completely change the way that what we know as truth can be truth or not. So like what he was studying was if you take scientific discoveries and you apply mathematical logic to whether or not that they can be true or not, are they true? Most of them are not because when you try to validate the way that a study can be conducted, you realize that it can't be conducted for the outcome that you're trying to achieve no matter what. And so even if you get that outcome, it was false in the way the study was conducted to get there. Because you can't necessarily do a study that's objectively true yeah. because it, the subject and the observer is. Exactly. And so it becomes this whole like, not chicken or egg, but like everything you're doing doesn't matter because the way that you're testing something already makes it so you can't get a result that is real. Yeah. Let's dive into that a little bit more because it's if we it truly understand that, it actually opens us up to what we actually are on a deeper level, which is the thing observing, which yep. is this idea of consciousness. And I'd love to get your perspective on what consciousness even is because it is a missing piece of science. It's like we have, you know, we are creating all these scientific theories from the place of the observer without actually understanding what that observer is or the consciousness is, which is, you know, the term people use God or yep. whatever you want to use, all the synonyms for that. So dive into that a little bit. Yeah, so... <clears throat> One of my earliest explorations of consciousness kind of came from, I was really in the, uh, as, as one of my good friends always explains it, like Austin was eight out of, like if it was like spiritual to like science, I was like eight over on uh, science. But you always had this, this understanding uh, yeah. a little bit that there's yeah. something else out there. Exactly. But you wanted proof. And he's like, now Austin's a two. Because like science, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm all the way almost spiritual compared mm-hmm. to science. And it's because like, you know, if you take any field far enough, you get to spirituality. You mm-hmm. can't not because you realize there's faith in what that field is. Yeah. hundred percent. It's, it's yeah. when I first understood that we're not humans who have spiritual experiences, but we're spirits who are having a human experience. Yes. And that inherently everything is spiritual yep. because we're spiritual beings having this experience. And even the idea of, being spiritual it's like that's like what are you talking about we all are totally yeah and like you even look at something like capitalism marketing right which like in a lot of ways is the antithesis of spirituality like it's the opposite of spirituality in a sense depending on what we're talking about but we don't even realize that like the reason logos were created was based on Aleister Crowley's idolization and worship of something to have it grow into an entity itself like that's why we have that's what a brand is right yeah that's it's like creating exactly. something out of nothing and then it says living organism that was created out of nothing. yes exactly so people don't realize they're worshiping something even if they're just like no no no. i just like nikes a lot and it's like mm. why do you like nike like it's, it's just what, a story that yeah. was created and then the fascinating thing is that's kind of what our egos are right our oh, yeah. egos are this personal brand of who we think we are and how we want to be seen in the world yep. And anytime anybody that's gone through a big transition in life or changed the story of who they are has changed their brand. And it's really fascinating to look at it, especially from, you're a marketer, from a marketing perspective, that that we all are just the story that we want to portray to the world and how we want to look. Yes, 100%. And so like when I was first kind of getting into that consciousness type of understanding, there was this guy named Max Tegmark. He's still really big in the AI and um, spirituality of like machines and everything kind of field. 
How does that work? The spirituality of machines. Well, it's um, like can machines be conscious? I guess if everything can we is code conscious, spirituality, mm. kind of like or, or code it's consciousness. Like the show Westworld. Yeah, holy, a shit. lot of it is. And so, like, he was trying to study a molecule or not molecules, but a substance that he coined perceptonium, which is what he thought might be uh, consciousness. So it's like. It's like an actual atom or molecule that Yeah, it's it was is it, something would it be like dark matter, the thing we don't know, but it's like 70% of well, the universe. It exists in our bodies though. And it's like where we are putting attention and conscious uh conscious awareness is where there's more perceptonium. So it's mm. almost like shifting like if all your energy is in your hand and you just feel your hand like that's like if, where you, your if you're meditating and doing a body scan as your body scanning, the perceptonium will go with where your awareness is going, yeah. like heightened. That's fascinating. And so that's where I was like, that kind of kickstarted like my, okay, what is consciousness and where are we going with this? And How old were you when this happened? That was at 19. 19. Um, I had been in meditation and, and I feel like, I don't know if everybody gets this, but like when I first started meditating, I had some like transcendent experiences. Like, like I don't know if it's just beginner's luck or whatever, but like I would have like, like the samadhi experience. Yeah, like one I would with go, everything. Yeah, I'd go so fucking deep, and I'd be like, the whole world's like flipping on me. Like, well, I'm like, I'm like, what is? I'm like sixteen. Like a full in psychedelic room. experience. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And how did you integrate that into your life, especially coming from like a scientific reductionist little yeah. background? I just knew like one other dude who meditated at high school, and like I'd be like, "Yo, have you had this happen?" And he's like, "I've had some weird things, but mm, this is not interesting." Really. Where did you learn to even meditate? Was it just from a deep like? like desire to learn and like I'm sure you were learning and reading books from a young age was it just yeah. did you just happen to fall across it or did someone share it with you so I thought I was schizophrenic and I thought I had I, I broke my arm in middle school in high school I went to a school that I didn't have any friends at and basically I just made the tv and video games my friends and mm. fucking junk food and so like that put me down this path of like um like life was really hard then and because life was hard and I got a therapist and I got a personal trainer and like all these things to like, try to like get my body back get my mind back. Like, you know, I also did a lot of, uh, soul searching and trying to figure out like what was going on with me. Why did I develop OCD? Why did I like use my intelligence in a way that like was harming me essentially. Mm. And where do you think that deeper awareness came from at such a young age? I mean, I've always had, I like to question shit or like, as my mom said, like when I was like a baby, I was like two or three, I would tell sarcastic jokes to myself and crack up. <laughs> it is, it's fascinating because we're both about to have kids. So we're both about to go on this journey of like understanding that there is this, you know, like a soul, right? Yes. And this idea of like having a wise soul and like coming in and, and how many lifetimes we live, like this all could just be an idea. Like, I don't know, but, and I'd love to explore it more with you, but this idea of like, I think the wisest people I know or wisest souls are people that can question things yes. early on. And it's that innate, like asking why, why, and like being curious about everything. Yes. Dude, hundred percent. I think I had that innately. Um, probably my dad has really high intelligence and my grandpa on that side as well. And so there's, he's always questioned norms. He does it with a bit of, a bias towards a certain political party. So that was like my growing up. Mm. But I think just seeing that, like you mimic everything when you're a kid, right? Um, mm. A lot of uh, Rene Girard's whole ideas are like, 
you're always like, there's a reason like neighbors are so big in the 10 commandments and everything like that. It's because like your neighbors at, at the beginning are your parents and you want to be like your neighbors. And mm. so that's like meet the Joneses is not necessarily like, Oh cool. I want to be like the Joneses. It's like your neighbors were your parents and that's why you look up to neighbors so much. And, and this so, is all I did in the self-development community as you are the sum total of the five people you hang around the most, right? Exactly. Cause it's just a natural human instinct to want to fit into that kind of, community exactly and so like <clears throat> i think i i wanted to know just why like my brain was not optimizing for the right thing i didn't have those words then hmm. but it was more of just like when you have a such a big uh disconnect between like who you think you are and then like also who you think you are like basically it's like a meta like like who too, you know you could be like you're not reaching your fullest potential exactly in this moment and you're like why you're too yeah you're too like i forget which psychologist talks about this but like when you're talking to someone there's like two of you talking to two of them and so there's like you know eight conversations going on or something <laughs> like that because like you will have both sides of all arguments if you're allowing yourself to think critically Hmm. which is something that's really missing in our society and culture in this moment, huh? Exactly. So, but I think that that disconnect was leading to a creation of a need, which led me to researching more about how to calm the mind because I didn't want to necessarily change my thoughts. I didn't know if that, I didn't know that was a thing. I instead wanted to just stop them and to do that meditation was like the thing that popped up over Mm. and over again. And so I started with binaural beats because I couldn't meditate. Like I couldn't just sit there and like get rid of bad thoughts if I didn't have a tool set or like know how to. Mm. I think that's what keeps a lot of people from meditation early on because they sit down and they they, they kind of have this first, okay, I'm going to sit still. And they realize, oh shit, like my mind is crazy. I I can't meditate because my mind is racing and then they never do it. But in reality, the whole idea of meditation is to just, have an awareness of your thoughts and then you can do something with them. Yes, exactly. And I don't know, listeners probably have um, listened to binaural beats because they're, I mean, now a lot of people know about them, but then like I was listening to them so much that I wouldn't have to listen to them and I could hear the different sounds in my ears go off at different points in the day to like replicate whatever that was. So I would just fall asleep with them every day. Um, and I would just use them as, as often as possible. And like, they got me to points where it's funny because I had a desktop computer. So like, I couldn't like plug in and then go lay on my bed or just put a pillow down. Yeah, there wasn't the Bluetooth at this time. Huh? Exactly. <laughs> plug in the headphones and then lay by it and like put on like an eight hour lucid dreaming track. And like, it would kick me into a lucid dream. And I was like, whoa. So that like led to the inception of, of meditating and of getting into these these more transcendent like lucid dream type experiences which is probably like astral realm type things yeah um and it just continued down that path to a point of like keep questioning found tim ferris's work i was like oh shit like this dude just created his whole life created everything that he's Mm. doing and he doesn't like have to listen to anyone Mm. that probably like kickstarted my disdain for authority or people who told me that I had to do things like do this. I'm like, you don't do that. I'm not doing that either. It's like with the the whole society and culture we've created is this idea of programming. And it's so fascinating. Like I'm writing my book right now. It's called finding freedom. And when I first started and came up with that title, I didn't even know really 
where it would head, but now understanding like what is freedom. And it's funny because in our country, our highest ideal is freedom. But in reality, if you don't know that you can create the life that you want to live in this moment, then are you really free? Or are you living through these programs of, you know, and these thoughts of limiting beliefs of why you think you can't. And those are usually implanted by our society and culture through all this programming to keep us small. Yep. Yeah. And the freedom here is very capitalized, like marketed freedom. Mm. It is not regular freedom. It's just like freedom for these things that we want you to be able to have freedom for. Yeah. Oh, cool. Like go outside and go to the grocery store and buy what I want. Yeah, exactly. That's not real freedom. Yeah. No. Like if you, if you tell yourself, oh, I wish I could do that, then you're not free. Like that's just a simple, the simple test. Exactly. Like, oh, I wish I could go do what you're doing. It's like, well, why can't you? Yeah. Because you believe you can't. That's the only thing that's holding you back. Because we go back to the idea of consciousness and the observer and the thing that is kind of witnessing this experience through us, which is the gift that our kind of species has. And we are the creators. That, that observer in me is the same observer in you, is the yes. same observer in anybody. And that is the aspect of God that is implanted in us that makes us aware. And when you realize that and you can kind of take layers back into that level of consciousness, you can start creating the the ego personality or the brand that you want to project out into the world and what you want to be. And I'm not saying it's easy, but when you start, you know, accessing these higher levels of awareness, it's actually fascinating that you you start creating this life. And when you become connected to the all of the experience, like magic starts happening, you start manifesting things into your life. People synchronistic moments happen. People come into your life and yeah, it's just a really beautiful place to live. And I think that's where we're trying to get to. Um, but it's just a really challenging place where we're at in our society and culture. And yeah, you need paradigm shifts. You need like, I, I don't like saying that, you know, everyone should do psychedelics and do them a lot. Um, I kind of disagree with a lot of the ways they're used now. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think like, Everyone should do MDMA once. And the reason is because then you feel this form of love within yourself that unconditional you never love. felt. Yeah. Yeah. Same with like mushrooms, same with like all these, like at least doing things once mm. and then not using them as a crutch. Cause like your paradigm did shift. Now shift your your environment around where your paradigm is. Yeah, about. it's really about embodying those states, which we have access to all the time, but it's the stories that get in the way. And I remember the first time I did MDMA and I felt that unconditional love. It was like the first time all of the stories in my mind dropped away and I just saw people purely presently like, oh my gosh, I love you. And then, you know, being around other people that are on it too. It's mm-hmm. like, you feel this energy that's like, oh my gosh. And I remember I want to, I want to recreate that. And so I started doing MDMA a little bit more and like realizing every single time I do it, it's not, I can't access that level because of that initial like flood is like so intense and awakening. And then that's how I started getting into meditation. It was like, how do I recreate this state of, you know, quieting my thoughts and being purely present and loving and embody it into this reality. And that's when I went down the path of learning about meditation and all these tools of how to bring this into my everyday life so I can live from this place of love. And it's been a really beautiful journey to get to that place. And just having an awareness, like you can't live there forever. I mean, maybe you can, but the thoughts keep coming up, but it's being able to question them in real time as they come up and being able to understand them and where they originate and be able to move them out of the way quicker and quicker. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's exactly it. I mean, you had the chicken or egg scenario. Like I meditated and then did MDMA. It was like, Oh cool. Like this is the thing I think I can like handle. And talk about other psychedelics too, because like for me, you know, the first time doing mushrooms, it's, it goes from this 
this belief, you know, like mm-hmm. even growing up in a Christian household and like these religious beliefs and the biggest, you know, enemy of, you know, religion is the question why. Yep. And I was never getting the answers. And um, it's just a lot of people, they want to know, right? Like this, this idea of wanting to be certain. It's like human yes. nature, like the fear of the unknown. So we want to be certain. So we find a belief that tells us, and the biggest fear is that fear of death, right? Yep. Like what happens when we die? And a lot of religions are built around what happens when you die and it creates these belief systems. But until you, you know, that's why psychedelics I think are so impactful and important because when you have a transcendental experience, like, you know, taking mushrooms and you experience something greater than yourself and this energy and this connection, it turns from a belief into a knowing. And when you have a deep knowing within yourself and you start developing a a personal relationship with God or the universe or source or whatever you want to call it, great spirit, whatever that thing is that is greater than yourself, that's really the important thing. And when you have that deep relationship and you start cultivating that, nobody can take that away from you. And then it's, it's, you, you create this open mindedness because you can actually have a conversation with someone about what they believe because you know, in your soul that this is what you believe. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's the beauty of an alternate perspective, <clears throat> which you can get without psychedelics, you can get with like a partner who like really challenges you and like shows up as a mirror, mm. like completely. And I think it's the intention, the in, initiation energy to a reaction, which is created. And when you take something like a psychedelic, like you're on the ride now, like mm. you've no you putting just, Pandora back in the box. Exactly. <laughs> like, I mean, I've had mushroom trips where I've been like, I think I took the wrong thing. And like half of the trip was like me thinking I took the wrong thing. And like, I've taken mushrooms many times before and I know it's mushrooms that I took, but like, because it's like, I'm, I'm in this no matter what, like, mm-hmm. of course that fear response kicks in and I'm like, no, 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 I need to like, how do I, how do I get rid of this? How do I be done with this right now? And it's like the voice in the back of my head is like, bro, you know what you just did. You've got like four hours. So yeah, buckle up. yeah exactly. And that's where the idea of surrender comes in too, right? Like being yeah. able to surrender into the experience. Cause it is the ego that shows up in fear of losing the story of who it is. And yes. so when that, that sense of self starts dissolving, that's when all, you know, this quote unquote bad trips happen because you're like, wait, who am I? Like the things that I know for certain are kind of dissolving in the background. And that's a scary place to be if you've never actually explored those before. Yep. But then when you start realizing, oh, these are, these are constructs, these are stories, and you can start looking at them from a different lens, then you can start questioning the deeper and deeper stories in reality. And we get to a place where even the stories collectively, like with our government, our society, our culture, the education system, the financial system, they're all stories that were created by people that came before us. Yep. And most people are born into this world nowadays and they're just like, oh, this is the way it is. This is the way it is. And even people that like question certain things or doing the work on their inner selves, they it's, you know, the, the onion is infinite and you keep going deeper and deeper layers. It's fascinating. Yeah, the onion is infinite. That's... Oh, wise person once told me that when I was like, yeah, I feel like I'm getting deeper. Like, you know, it goes on forever. Right? And I was like, damn. Yeah, I guess, but I'm going to keep going for a little bit. Yeah. I think that's a good, um, a good bridge with talking about psychedelics is like most people start and you start by using them to uncover things about your past. But if you don't then switch to creating with them, then I think you're misusing what it is because you can undo trauma forever And you then start to undo the trauma that you create by undoing trauma. Mm. You know? Every path leads on infinite ways. Yes. And it it all leads back to where we're sitting right now in this present moment. And that's the only thing that exists, right? And that's that's where eternity exists. Like the eternal present moment. And that's like 
I used to have this idea of infinity and eternity in it, you know, with my Christian beliefs. I always had one of the questions I had was, so your soul is born in this human body. That's the origin of it. And then you live a blink of an eye existence, let's say 80 years. And then you have that 80 years to decide whether you're going to spend eternity in hell or heaven. But then I was like, well, eternity, like when I started comp- contemplating that, it's like eternity doesn't mean there's a start and then it goes on in one direction. And so that evolved into like, okay, eternity and infinity has to mean on a linear time scale forever in both directions. But then that doesn't even make sense mm-hmm. because it can't, like eternity can't exist in a linear time scale because that automatically loops in on itself. Mm-hmm. And so to fully come to a place of understanding what infinity actually is and it's the present moment. Yeah. That's, that's it. Yep. And it's yeah. always now, always. Yeah. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's one of the funniest things. Like, I can't even, I I can't begin to understand or fathom how people think that you go to hell for eternity. I'm like, First of all, why would a, a loving God need to prove himself yeah. by putting you in hell and damnation? Like, what does that, what does yeah. that make him feel good? Yeah, I made rules. Why didn't you follow my rules? Yeah, I mean, you're going to damn you in hell yeah. forever. Forever. Because I need to prove a point to you. You're like, I'm forever? He's like, yeah, forever. Like, for like a thousand years? No, no, no. Forever. So like a hundred thousand? No, no, no. Like forever. It's incomprehensible. Yeah, it is. Exactly. I mean, it's just like if you said like run in that direction for the rest of your life, you would be like, what What do you mean? Like, no, no, forever. Keep going. Like that's forever for a person who's in a, a Vietnam concentration camp is a year. Yeah. You know? Oh, so yeah. It's like. That gets the idea of subjective time. Yeah, too, exactly. Like what is time really even? Yes. We have this illusion of linear time, which is really fascinating. It's like the paradox of this nature yeah. of reality that we live in where we're, we're actually like, there's no, there's no denying the fact that we're actually living in an experience of linear time, yep. but the present moment is the one that's like kind of unfolding through that. Yeah. It's a weird kind of perception kind of, shift. Well, we, I'm going to say yes and no to that because when we're looking at time, there's three types of time. There's biological time, there's chronological time, and there's experiential time. Mm-hmm. And so like, yeah, our clocks run from chronological time and our and our uh, cells work on biological time, which completely follow different things because someone at 80 looks young as fuck versus someone else at 60 who looks like they're 80 and or why 90. why is that? I mean, that's confounding factors and it's probably like, if we're going to just keep time as the unit of measurement, it's like probably the things that you are doing are reducing your, are increasing the processing time for cells to do things, which is leading to more aging because it's taking more time. But like if, let's just say, and this is just in theory, but let's just say a cell can process something immediately, but that's like nothing. And so it just goes through and it keeps working over and over again. It's easy seeing this process. It's like, you have more ATP, your mitochondria work better, like you're younger, healthier, faster, better, whatever that is. Um, and it doesn't, like, they're not relating to chronological time. They're working on only the experience of what they know they're supposed to do. Just mm. like, I process this one thing. I process, oh, this thing's harder to process. Oh, now that it's harder, it's taking more energy. Oh, it took more energy, now I'm older. And like, so that's why, like, even on the practical level of like eating fast food and the shit that's really hard for your body to process actually will lead to degenerative, you know, biological exactly. time where you actually look older faster because your body's working harder because it's not getting the proper nutri- nutrients and everything like that. Exactly. And then you add to that, which is the only time that matters is experiential time. Mm. And so experiential time is nonlinear. Experiential time is. When you are, 
working every day and doing the same thing over and over again, you don't have experiential time. Your time goes by immediately. Yeah, and that's why people wake up when they finally reach retirement. They're like, wait, I was working so hard for this yeah. end goal. And wait, what do I do now? Because they actually don't know how to drop into a present experience of time in the moment. Exactly. I've never done it. Exactly. Well, and even here's a, I mean, the problem is like entrepreneurialism too. That's also like, if you want to build a big business and you don't even want to like know how you got there, you do the simplest thing you can do, which is the same thing over and over every single day. And if you do that, it's going to be, super simple for you to move fast, build something, but you don't remember your life. Mm. And it, it's, it could be a corporate job. It could be entrepreneurialism. It could be going and doing ayahuasca 4,000 times in the jungle. It doesn't really matter because mm. eventually the novelty of that event is gone. And when that's gone, your experiential time decreases. And kind of going to autopilot, right? Yep. And that's why it always comes back to this idea of presence and being present. It doesn't really matter what you're doing, but can you be present through the experience that you're doing it rather than trying to rush through it to get to some, yes. you know, end goal or destination that is, you know, in this idea of infinity, like you're, where you're really trying to get to. We're yep. all really trying to get back to being present, yep. but we've created this system where we're trying to work toward, towards a, a goal that we think is going to lead to fulfillment or happiness or this this thing that we so deeply desire when really what we really desire is to be present in the gift of the experience that we're having right now. Yes. And to understand that if you are following a routine or a specific thing you're doing over and over again, that is shortening your life. Mm. And at least subjectively for sure. Right. Definitely subjectively. Yeah, maybe like, okay, you work out every day, like you have a strict nutrition protocol and you do it every single day forever and it's like a longevity protocol. It's cool, but your life probably sucked. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's just the same thing over and over again. And that's just like, an, I don't like routines that much. <clears throat> I like having things that I should do daily, but to have the same thing, to do the same thing over and over again, shortens your life. Mm. To have one thing different, whether that's play, like you play, you do something random every single day that will like just that will increase your life, increase dopamine, increase your happiness, increase your health, like everything, because the variability of it creates a new pathway. It actually creates new neural pathways in yeah. the brain, which actually creates new experience. That's why novel experience. And you introduced me to this idea of like spontaneity, right? Yep. Like the, in order to really live and slow down subjective time. Cause how easily, even if we find like, okay, I want to get into meditation. I want to get into journaling. I want to start yeah. eating right. How quickly those can become habits yeah. and take us away from actually extending our subjective experience. And the only really way to do that is through spontaneity where you're constantly changing up your routine and keeping yourself guessing. Cause the brain naturally wants to create, you know, the known routine experience because then it opens it up where if it makes it easier, where it doesn't have to spend energy on our daily choices, then it can think more, but then it creates us lost in our thoughts. And so it's really about battling that innate nature of wanting to create routine. And then through that spontaneity is a big tool to actually drop in and increase our subjective time. Yeah. And, and to that point, I think it becomes a, Habits are good for those who don't have enough energy, which is a bold statement. But the way that I look at a lot of what we do and why we do it and how we do it. So for instance, me with the binaural beats, I was using those every day as much as possible because I quite literally didn't have enough energy to pull my thoughts from my thinking out and look at it and identify what was wrong and change that. 
And so as humans, we have this, I, I've, I study this a lot, or I, I think about it a lot as well, which is like the perceived amount of energy required to do something is what makes most of the world not do what they want to do. Mm. Dive deeper into that. Give us an example. For instance, the person who's always like, I need to work out. I need to work out. And they never do. And then you do it one time and you realize that working out doesn't take that much energy. It actually mm. gives you energy. And you're actually wasting more energy by telling yourself that exactly. I should work out, but you actually don't. Because then there's a little bit of a shame story that's created. Like, I don't have the willpower to do it. And you start turning the energy back on the self. Exactly. And so this gets into when you begin to specialize too much, you lose the generalization and understanding that almost everything doesn't require that much energy and you stop doing those other things that are good. And so for instance, like what I was saying with habits or routine is that I don't wake up and have the same things that I do over and over again. I have the same set of things that I do throughout the day, but because I understand and I've kept up a process of doing them at least a little bit every single week, I know the energy to do them isn't that great. So for me, it's not a chore or a task, but it's something that I actually get to consciously put into my day every single day. Mm. And that leads to flexibility and more experiential time because I can remember, oh, remember that one day at 3.30, I had a meditation or a nap with New Calm because <clears throat> I was a little tired and then I had this prolific thought instead of remember the last 80 mornings when I meditated and I had this one thought, but I can't remember really where it was or when it happened or how mm. it happened because it's the same thing every single day. Wow. Yeah. That's beautiful. What about this concept of, you know, we're talking about biological time and experiential time and aging, really. Mm. I mean, where does consciousness in the mind play a fact in like the biological processes of aging? Like if, you know, this concept of if we believe that the illusion of time passing and we can kind of shift that perspective within our mind. Is it something that we can kind of stop biological aging or? So I think we could, but not now. And so my reason for, for that is we have so, so there's three stages of awareness for, I guess just about everything. There's the unaware affected stage. So you don't know there's bad food that you're eating but it's fucking you up. Hmm. Then there's the aware affected stage. So you know there's bad food and it messes you up. And then there's the aware unaffected stage. And to get to the unaware affected stage requires that you have already passed through the unaware affected to the aware affected stage. And that's really hard to do with the amount of things that we put into our environment at this point. Hmm. So there's like so many, like we literally... Science was originally to propel us forward. Now science looks at the things that we create ahead of time and regressively sees how it fucking destroyed us. Like DDT creating polio and like all these things that like, you're like, what? How We just did that. We just created this and ran with it because we could. And mm. now we have to create a whole science that looks back and says, hey, the thing we created 30 years ago is why all these people have X today. What are some of the things that we have today that we're going to look back on 30, 40, 50 years from now, even five years from now that are affecting us in ways that we can't even comprehend in this moment? I mean, all the electro stuff, every like electricity and the way that we wire houses and the way that we paint houses, like all these EMFs that are in yeah. the field. Our, our environments are confounding and we want to make things faster, cheaper, better, easier. And to do that, we're, we're giving up something else, right? There's this idea that you can't make the bluest and fastest car. Um, Brett Weinstein was talking about this on a podcast. 
Because in order to completely optimize for blue, you can't optimize for fastest. Mm. Now you can use synergy to create a, the fastest bluest car, which is faster than almost any car and bluer than almost any car. But to do that, you have to work on bringing both things to meet a criteria where both people don't compromise, but instead these two things actually boost each other up. Mm. Maybe how fast you go makes the car look bluer, for instance. Mm. Um, and so in order to do that, we'd have to change our paradigm. But what we have now is how cheap can we make things? How quickly can we get them built? And that's creating environments, which we don't even realize how toxic they are and can be not only to the earth, but us, the organism within the earth itself, mm. which is that organ. What does it, what does it look like moving forward? I mean, you know, if we do stay in the same trajectory, what are some kind of the long tail effects of the environment we've created for ourselves? And I'd love to dive into some of your thoughts on, on how we can shift the paradigm that we yeah. are living in and the story really. And it's, you know, I, I know it starts with us each individually, but it just, for me and, and for us that are, you know, see the problems, but there's just feel so daunting at times. Like what can we do and how do we do it as a society and a culture? Yeah. Start with the basics, right? Are you getting enough sunlight? Are you standing on the earth and connecting with it? Are you drinking clean water? Are you breathing clean air? And are you moving? Like, if you just do those things, like, always, you'll feel better. Why do people don't do those things? Perception of energy. Mm. Just like, oh, I have to take my shoes off and stand on the ground, and then I'm going to have to clean my feet after. And it's like, you're an idiot. You know the ground doesn't just, like, travel with you everywhere, right? Like, I walk around barefoot everywhere, and my feet are almost always super clean. Mm. Like, that, like, there's just these conceptions of, like, dirty. Dirty is a stupid way of thinking about having dirt on you. Like the amount of microbes and amazing things that is in soil. Of course, now there's dirt everywhere because we've made, you know, we've taken all the nutrients out of soil mm. and it's dirt. Difference between soil and dirt, right? Yeah. Is the nutrient denseness of it. Exactly. But like that itself <clears throat> is still flawed. Zach Bush talks a lot about you should breathe your biome. Like the one thing, the best thing to do for your health is get as many diverse environments into your breathing mm. daily. How do you do that? Go on hikes, go to, don't be in just a Just not sit inside in your same house that's not circulating proper clean air. Exactly. Just even the fact of getting outside more. Yeah, sitting Because that knocks a, it out, right? Walking barefoot, you yep. get sunlight, movement, the ground, and clean air. Yeah, exactly. And then you just come back and drink some Mountain Valley spring water, or get a Berkey filter, or just try to get the, it's all about whatever you have, get the best of what you can do with what you have. It's mm. not about like, I need a Rolex or I need to have like, where emf blocking t-shirts like you don't need to do that it's just like go outside and like try to turn off your electricity at night or but the stories that we have internally about all of this stuff and it's so fascinating like the the, the mainstream media and you know you're a marketer too and like all the mainstream marketing plans like they create this this narrative that is so false and people don't and it's fascinating even the story of like people know like this is probably unhealthy for me but i don't want to eat my vegetables because they're not yeah. as good or something but it's like how do we shift the stories of what we think reality is besides decentralization, putting microdose mushrooms and everything? Yeah. Decentralization. <laughs> Talk more I, about that. I think, um, I mean, cryptocurrency of, of course is the number one way that people are thinking about decentralization. But the only reason that like marketing is bad is because the incentive structure of it is off. Mm -hmm. The incentive structure is around like you can only spend a finite amount of money and we need you to spend all of your money with us. Like, 
if you read uh, Charlie Munger's Poor Charlie Almanac, like he details how to create a $4 trillion company, which is like the idea of where to bring Coca-Cola and how to replace like two out of every eight, eight ounce glasses of water that someone's supposed to drink a day with Coke. Through marketing. Yeah. And how would you do that? I mean, they go through a lot of things, right? The reason that- This is all a psychological game that- yeah, why is Coke glass bottles? Because it's like champagne. That's why they, they come up and it's like a champagne bottle. Why mm. is it dyed brown? Because that's like a fine wine. Why is it carbonated? Because it's like champagne. Like These are all deep unconscious dude, things that we don't even aware of. That. What What is the flavor of Coca-Cola? It's a flavor that was never there before. And the reason is now you always associate it with this thing. Wow. And it's like whether they did that consciously or not, there's very specific incentive structures designed around bigger, faster, better until like Coke is that hat you're wearing, the chair you're sitting in, the f- and everything that you do yeah. forever. And whether they were doing that consciously back then or not, they're definitely doing it now because definitely. this evolution of psychology and the way the brain works and, you know, with all of the, the, the um, like the social medias and stuff, and it's all been gamified, right, to get us to consume more and more and more. Yep. Is it the consumer culture that's the problem? And how do we shift the incentive structure? No, I mean, it's it's both, right? You have a bear in the picture behind you. And like yeah. Coke has branded happy bears and happiness as like their fucking So every time thing. I see a bear, I unconsciously think, I need a Coke right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's how, how do you undo that? It's just, we have to change your incentive structures. Like right now you want a bigger car, you want a private jet, you want a X, Y, Z, but all of those things do not lead to the thing you're trying to fill with them, which is like connection and community. Mm. Um, and then, you know, you, we talk about decentralization for a minute, like the way to change those incentive structures is to make it so that there isn't one person at the top profiting from everything, or there at least isn't a board profiting from everything or the way that we create things leads to you only getting incentivized and rewarded if your thing actually produces value for the earth. So for instance, like even with Bitcoin, right, people are talking a lot about how the environmental impact is bad. And I saw with Bitcoin. Yeah, they, because it's proof of work and because it's proof of work, work means energy. And so the amount of energy just to prove that all the Bitcoin function. Sure, uh, like the mining and stuff to make sure the ledgers are all. Yeah, it's like yeah. obscene, the amount of pollution that it's putting out right now. Really? Yeah, it's it's horrible. But you can take your wallet address and input it into, I forget what the site was called, and it will tell you how much you've actually um, used energy-wise. And then you can donate to help reverse that. Wow. And so like, those companies should get rewarded, right? And that's how we should look at everything. Yeah, because Coca-Cola is not telling you how much they, by drinking a Coke, you are actually leading to the pollution of the environment. Dude. And so here's the thing, right? They're so big that it actually might not be that bad because they're so mass scale. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we're like- figured out ways to like decrease all of that. Yeah, because cause if they have like an extra watt of energy per bottle of Coke, like that's like another billion dollars probably for them to spend. So they're like, okay, let's cool. Let's reduce the amount of energy it's going to take to even create this at this okay. point, which comes with masses. Basically, if you can get something to a big enough threshold, that's why there's price breaks on wholesale goods and there's, mm-hmm. you know, all this stuff. But at the end of the day, it's incentive structures. And like what we need to change the incentives around is community connection and experience. And that's it. And how do we do that? I know blockchain is a is a one tool that we can start using. Yeah, blockchain is a way for us to be able to allow others to have their experience without it impeding on ours and to then come back and say like, hey, Meg knit stuff. How do we value Meg's knitting stuff compared to John's ability to pick up trash? 
because those are different things. One's a service, one's a good X, Y, Z. And it's just like simply we need some form of ledger, some form of denotation that says like, okay, so her thing's worth this much. And what John does is worth this much. And like, that's why they can communicate on the open market. Hmm. But then within a community, that's different, right? You like, you could have Bill Gates. Uh, damn, I didn't want to bring him up as an <laughs> example. But like, I thought about money. And of course, he came up first. You could have Jack Dorsey on Twitter start uh, like Village where he funds everything they ever always do. It's just everybody has to still fulfill their job or their values incentive. Uh-huh. And it's like, that's cool there. But that doesn't expand to everything. Like when those people leave, they have to have money. The incentive structure dies with the community that they leave. Exactly. And so we do need to, it's almost um, all ideas are good and valid for specific subsets. And so like socialism is great on the tribe level. Hmm. And then capitalism is great on the inter-tribe international level. Because then you can go, okay, cool. Like it's just when they start to, when... Capitalism can eat the tribe and the tribe competes with each other for capitalism, then that's bad. So how do we intertwine both of them? Is there, I mean, is it even, it could be just a story we haven't even thought of yet, right? Yeah, it's just going to, I mean, it's going to take a a melding of things. And yeah, it's this idea of, you know, we live in this binary world where it's like, and the the divisiveness, even like you look at the political environment, it's like, if you're, if you're Republican, you have to believe all of these things are Republican. And so it's, it's, you know, until we can understand like there's true and there's false and then things can be both true and false or neither true nor false. If you just introduce, go from binary to introducing those two concepts, it goes from two choices to infinite choices because it opens up all possibilities. hundred percent. And it's same thing with politics. Libertarianism is great for some things. Republicanism is great for some things and uh, being a Democrat is great for some things, but it's the actual, like we, we do this a lot where like we create a law and then we're like, everyone has to abide by this. And you're like, but that doesn't make sense. Like my circumstance is different. They're like, no, no, you still have to abide by this thing. And it's like, that's, that doesn't make any sense. Everything should be case by case unit. But what we've done is we think to identify by person, by community, by city, by village, whatever that is, is too much energy. Again, we're leading mm. back to that. So let's not do that. Let's find the simplest thing because our incentive structures Everybody's is gonna follow that productivity. Rule. Yeah. yeah. We're in a we're in a trap of thinking productivity is good. Productivity is fucking bad. I mean the whole idea of like we 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 um, compare our country's success in this thing called GDP, which is how much we consume. Yeah. So it creates this incentive structure where the country that's consuming the most is ahead of every other country. So it, it's the incentive structure is to consume more, which you know, you just look at that objectively. Yep. What does that lead to? No more, no more things to consume because we're yep. just over consuming. It's unsustainable as a, a planet. Yeah, exactly. I've, like we have to shift our idea to regeneration. So like for a lot of what I'm thinking of with any of this, and I know we go down these rabbit holes a lot on the nights where we quote unquote party <laughs> is like everything should be regenerative. <clears throat> the byproduct of everything that we do should be able to be used again. And only it, the, th- the only reason that we have this amount of problems is because we operate under the confine and false restriction of entropy. And that's it. We think everything's breaking down always, that we think energy is always degrading. We think we're always in a limited aspect of things. And that's a fallacy. It's a fallacy. Okay. And it, but it's also what has shaped most of the ideologies we live on. It's funny because you just look at the universe and science says it's expanding. Totally. I mean, Darwinism is 
based on entropy. Survival of the fittest and evolution are not the way that people think they are. People think that like evolution and adaptation happens where it's survival of the fittest. There's not enough thing. Not all these things can survive. So the thing that's fittest to survive will. Yes. Mm -hmm. But the thing is all of them can survive. It's just, they specialized on something too much to the point that they think this other thing requires too much energy and they don't do it. And because they can't do it, they die. Ah, so specialization is the problem. And that's what Buckminster Fuller talks about, right? We're going into this hyper-specialization environment where people are just focused on doing one thing and we don't have any generalists and actually being able to know a lot or a little about a lot can actually create new ideas and new creations of things. Exactly. It's a video game, right? If you played a video game and you dial up your character all in strength, but like nothing else, like that character is going to suck. You like move at like three miles per hour, but like you can punch super fast, but it doesn't matter if some dude's far away and he's shooting you, you're like, you're out. Yeah. And so like, that's how it works. That's generalization. It's like, you're still like, maybe like three things you're super good at. You're super knowledgeable, but you have to have a fundamental baseline, which I do like Charlie Munger's book for this. He talks about the Lollapalooza effect, which is like you learn up to a certain amount in every field so that all the fields can interact in your mind to create better new information. Mm. It's like, that's how we all should be, but we don't because we specialize for everything. And then we go to the toe doctor because our toe hurts. But why does your toe hurt? Because you walk on it all day because your knees suck, your hips suck. And then the hip doctor says it's only the hips, but like, mm. no, 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 they all interact. And you can, fascinating. you know, you can extrapolate this from like Nassim Tlaib's work where they took kids and uh, who were, they took like 200 kids and they brought them to a doctor for tonsillectomies. And like he said, like 80 of them needed tonsillectomies. And then they brought those same kids to another doctor. And he said like, you know, another 80 or they brought the remainder 120. And then that guy said like another 40 of them needed tonsillectomies. It's because the guy with the hammer is always looking for a nail Mm -hmm. and they don't realize, right. But these doctors, then if you look at the actual, um, Incident rate of deaths on tonsillectomies, it's like 2%. So they like killed four kids. Oh, they don't know that. They're just like, ah, it's just, you know, another day. But like, we have to understand from a holistic system how all of this stuff actually interweaves. And that comes to regenerative thinking, mm-hmm. not just regenerative. It's not just agriculture, which replants itself. It's everything that we do. Yeah. We're all like this whole organism of earth is all like everything is intertwined in everything. the ways that we can't even comprehend. Yeah. That's, I mean... Like that's Janus. Like, do you know Jainism at all? Mm-mm. Like they're a very um, specialized form of Hinduism and uh, they believe everything is living and anything that we do to hurt anything living hurts us. So like they even walk softly on the ground for things that they can't see. Wow. And so and there's like, something to that. There is something yeah. to that, which is like, we have an effect on everything. Mm. And so like, the whole like one man's trash is another man's treasure is true. And we should be making all of the byproducts because you just switch the word from trash to byproducts to something that fuels something else. Like, can you make it so like your car's exhaust is maybe it's collecting it or it's filtering it out and it's like putting X back into the air or whatever Mm. that is. And then when that accumulates enough resin, that resin is then used for grease or oil or something else that you need. And like, you know, like we can do this, we just don't because the incentives are wrong and we think the energy that it takes to do this is too great. Do you think we'll be able to shift the incentive structure in our lifetime? Totally. I guess we're going to have to or else it's not going to be pretty. We will have to. 
I mean, that's Buckminster's whole idea on critical path is like, we are on a critical path and it's either a complete conscious awakening, which is not everybody awakens to the same story. It's everyone awakens to themselves and what they're doing. Mm. It's not like everyone wakes up. Just having an awareness. Like most people who are unconscious living from this unconscious routine and patterns and habitual living, they think they're actually aware, but they don't actually understand their mind and the choices that they're making. They're like just going throughout the day. So awakening is not all of a sudden being like a spiritual guru on the mountain meditating, but it's just becoming aware of your life as you're living it, being more present. Yeah. It's like this food hurts my stomach. Oh my God, that person's aware. Mm. It's as simple as that. Yeah, Like that could be someone's like paradigm changing reality. And then yours could be like, when I'm in a room with someone who thinking dark thoughts, I get a dark thought. It's like, oh, cool. Telepathy is yours. But it's just like we're at different stages. So we can't have like the idea that everybody like collectively like looks up and awakens is like, to me, one of the most hilarious things. It's like we are all awakening right now. Mm -hmm. Some people are denying that and they're trying not to, but they are still like even the evil person is awakening while they're evil. And they are consciously fighting the idea that they are evil. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that resistance is self-perpetuating and back into the evil because that resistance is the evil story trying to keep itself evil. Yep, exactly. <laughs> wow. Yeah. What do you think the purpose of it all is? Like widening the lens out to, we, you know, we talked about this lifetime that we're living and we talked about maybe possibly the idea of living many, many lifetimes. But, you know, we're in this, this game right mm-hmm. now in this present moment with all of these things, these collective paradigm shifts that need to take place for us to enjoy the experience to the fullest. But widening the lens out you know, the widest place you can do, which I know is pretty wide for you. Like, what's the whole point? Like, why are we here? I think we have to look at what drives us to understand that. And then what occurs when we don't do anything. So I don't, I think all of us are here for different things. Mm -hmm. I think the fundamental is to experience and which would be why time would extend if you're you're basically getting rewarded by time for for doing the thing you're supposed to do. Mm, and that's like what these flow states are, right? Like exactly. when you're living your quote unquote dharma or your soul path or what you're here to do in a present way and surrendering into what wants to be experienced through you, time actually slows down because you're living the thing that you're meant to. Yes. Exactly. And so it becomes a like the thing that you're supposed to be doing, I don't think is a thing that you're always doing. So like if you it's remove process, yourself, right? yeah, if you remove yourself from like your situation, just watch all the things that continue the exact same, even though you're not there. I had that very similar. That's like the thing with being an athlete and like having that realization that, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm so important to this team and I play yeah. such an intricate role and they wouldn't be able to do it without me. And then I get cut and like nobody blinks an eye. Yep. The machine keeps going. Yep. It's kind of like depressing when you look at it in the grand scale of life. Like if I die, and that's why I think so many people are attached to this idea of like creating legacy and yep. wanting to live on forever through what they create and the impact. And like, yeah, and that's the, just the ego, right? Wanting to stay alive. Definitely. And it's also a weird incentive because, like, what is our current incentive structure? Emotions. Like, that's what guides us to do or not do things. And so when you look at that, you go, like, what's the purpose of life? It's probably to just feel as much as possible all of the emotions. It's not mm. just like one or the other. It's like, well, you probably don't want to feel pain all the time. That's pretty shitty because you do choose that journey. And if you choose that, that sucks for you, unless it doesn't, unless that's like your thing. And like, you're like, my identity is pain. And like, I'm the pain guy. 
Mm. Like, hey, how's it going? I'm in pain still. Like, yeah, yeah we know. And pain can be a beautiful teacher because for me, being an athlete, my body is in such pain all the time. It's actually led me to be more uh, intentional with the way I take care of my body, the way I feel my body. Because if I eat something that causes inflammation because I have so many injuries in my body, like I can feel it so viscerally. So it forces me to take care of my body because I'm self-aware and it exactly. leads me to the yoga mat more. And if I don't do yoga for a couple of days, my body starts to be in pain. So pain becomes when you're aware, yep. this beautiful teacher of like, how can I, and same thing with you early on when you're like, my mind yep. is racing. Like, why am I in this place? Like wakes you up to the fact, okay, how can I shift this? And so it's really comes back to self-awareness and being able to use those yes. as tools and the sensation. And I think the problem is too, is we live so much in our heads and we don't actually you know, especially as men in our society and culture, we don't know how to even access our emotions mm-hmm. in the right way. We bottle them up. And when we do that and aren't able to express them openly in a safe way and feel comfortable, yeah. they actually manifest in physical disease in our body and in, in the somatic response. Totally. Cause it's still the emotion and it's mm-hmm. just going like, Hey, you haven't fucking taken care of like, you're always right all the time and have a tight chest because you're angry and like, you don't sit down and go like, Argh. Okay, cool. I'm done. That was it. Yeah. Go or, go hit a punching bag for a few things and let it all out. Yeah. Or you realize that anger is one of the best teachers for you're not doing something you're supposed to be doing. So you get angry or frustrated because you have to now figure out what that thing that you're doing is and then do it. And so like you follow the guides. And I think this is going to lead into my picture of why I think we're here and what the purpose is to become aware enough to have um oh my god how am i forgetting this word which this like is the most hilarious word to forget at this point because then it seems like i'm not doing this (laughs) you know um everybody always says we either do or don't have not conscious control what's the uh self-control no no not self-control of reality Um, perception no, like we're on a specific path that we can never change. Oh, uh, predestination? Yeah. But what's, the, like what's the main idea of predestination? It's uh, the word that... Let's phone a friend. Anybody yeah. out there know this word? <laughs> it's like Alan Watts' whole thing is uh, if you try to think harder by scrunching your face. I know, face, let's let like, it go for a sec. Yeah. Um, puppies, yeah. baseball. Uh, I used to use that when I had pop boners. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when I was a kid. Puppies, oh. baseball. No, no, not Grandma. those puppies and no, baseball. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, anyways, in like hermetic philosophy, the whole idea is, oh, free will. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that yeah. it works. <laughs> yeah. So, and it is, it is hilarious that that is the word you forgot. Right? Exactly. <laughs> so simple. Yep. And I just got right back off of, like I was, that was me trying to get my own free will. And then I didn't have free will. And as soon as I just surrendered, surrendered and said like, fine, I don't need free will. Like it gave me the word. Wow. Um, but in hermetic philosophy, the whole idea is like, we don't have free will of this, but what we do have free will of is the awareness of this. So, I, I like that idea. Yeah. We know that. Okay, cool. There's a wave coming. Oh, cool. Like recessions coming. Boom. Cool. Be ready. Yep. And now that you know, you're not going to stop the wave, but your awareness allows you to have the free will over what's going to happen. Yeah. It's the paradoxical nature of reality that we live in. We both yes. have, we have this illusion of free will almost where because like some of the, you know, I know you've experienced this too. And anybody that's listening to this, when you have like such a synchronistic moment where you like think of something and that thing comes, it's like, yeah, makes you really question. Like if that was timing was so perfect, how could I actually have free will? Cause the events that had to take place for both maybe people to meet 
Yes. You know, even like meeting your your soul partner. And it's like, if you really think about the probability of that actually happening, it's so minuscule that there's obviously something intelligent at work. And it's like, wait, do I even have free will? Yep. But then when you question, okay, maybe I just have free will of how I'm observing the experience and the choice of what I want to bring in the experience, yes. whether that's like, I want to decide to be grateful for what's happening, or I want to decide to be like, you know, a victim to the circumstances that are happening and unfolding. And it's, that's where the free will comes in. It's the free will and how you perceive the reality and the circumstances that are happening in your life. And, you know, another concept that kind of plays into that is this idea that there's infinite realities happening simultaneously. And we are calling in the timeline that we want to live. So that's, we have free will and the awareness of the infinite field that we're living in and navigating. But for me to decide to pick up this water and not, if I didn't do that, that timeline's going on too, but yep. we're just living in this one timeline and infinite timelines that are taking place simultaneously. Yes. And this plays into the idea of Illuminati and what Robert Anton Wilson thinks Illuminati is, or at least like he talks about um, in his book, The Illuminatus, mm-hmm. whatever it's called. No, it's not even called that. But um, he basically goes into his idea that the Illuminati exposes itself to you. It's an illumination of these mm. things that when you start to follow them, you maybe it's you're taking the greatest in, in your mind or ego or path of your soul's journey, the greatest reality. And it's just showing you where to go. But that the people who would be the Illuminati, like, yeah, they're the ones who like, cool, they walk in, they just got $10 million. And then right when they get out of the building, it blows up and no one knows who they were all on chance because that building was on demolition that day. And they didn't know, you know, like all these things, but like, we think of it on chance and these synchronicities of these things, like their life is synchronicity because they're tuned into a place of like, Oh yeah. Oh, that's weird. Cool. Those are my favorite numbers. I got to go there. And they walk in and then they're like, huh? Okay, cool. And someone's like, Hey, can you hold this 10 grand for a minute? And then they're like, actually, no, 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 keep it. I don't want it anymore. I got to go over here and like, Oh, cool. Like I got this. And then they're walking out and it's like, Hey, this guy comes up and he's like, I really need 10 grand. Like, if you give me this, I'll give you this Rolex. It's 200 grand. They're like, oh, cool. Yeah, here it's 10 grand. I don't know. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it just follows this whole loop of like following the pleasure of these things and symbols exposing themselves to you of this reality. Mm. And maybe it's not free will, but it is the thing that allows you to be like, yeah, I'm supposed to go over here. I know I know I am. Like and what do you what do you kind of put towards that greater intelligence that does create those symbols in life and those mm-hmm. synchronistics and those like those magical things that happen, like, you know, this idea of of God like we were talking about, mm-hmm. the universe. What's your belief around where that comes from? It's just a wave, man. Just a wave. I mean, it's just wave a frequency. It's literally just a frequency, right? And like when you are tuned in to the right frequency, you hear the right song on the radio. Hmm. Like, but if you're in the middle, it's like, and, and you have to be cringy. present, right? And yeah. that's why it all comes back to being present. And then all of a sudden, if you're present, not lost in your thoughts or your head or worry yep. or anxiety about what's going to happen in the future, and you can live life fully presently, you are open to these, yep. these symbols and these guides that if you're like, oh, and you, you learn to trust those things mm-hmm. and trust your intuition because it comes back to feelings that guide you within yourself as well. That's when the magic starts happening. Exactly. And then back to the timeline thing too. It's like this idea of doing the work on ourselves and healing ourselves. And I truly believe I talk about this a lot in the podcast, like in order to heal the world, we first have to heal ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I found it very fascinating that, you know, the work that I've been doing to heal my own inner traumas and triggers. And it's just anytime I go up and something triggers me, it's like having an awareness of like, why did that trigger me? And understanding that was my stuff, not the person doing that to me Mm -hmm. and being able to do that healing work. And it's, 
when you're present and you're around, we talked about this earlier in the week is talking about the infinite timelines that are happening. Let's say somebody comes up and I've noticed this with my parents and kind of their healing, Mm -hmm. like they used to trigger me a lot. Right. And I've done my own healing work and now they don't trigger me as much. And so when I'm around them, I'm actually pulling out their highest version of themselves. Mm -hmm. And so I'm calling actually manifesting and calling in the timeline that I want to live in the person. Let's say someone that's really angry is like, fuck you with somebody in traffic. And then they come up to you and they're like, that energy is just so visceral and you can feel it. And you're just like, Hey man, what's up? I love you. And they're just like, they soften because you're calling that aspect of them into your timeline. And the more people that do this, we can start calling in a more loving, compassionate, accepting, unified timeline. But it all starts from within and the timeline that we want to create. It's yeah, like as within, so without. Because if you're super angry and the world's angry back at you, I mean, what yeah. timeline are you calling it? Well, and that's the thing. It's it's the timeline, right? Because it's we don't all optimize for the same timeline, but as we optimize more and more, that's the timeline that we are on. So, like maybe like in this timeline, like your arm hurts all the time, but like just switch that, you know. And that doesn't mean you don't have to do work to get there. It's mm. like in that timeline, you probably did some work to get there, mm. or like. You were saying, uh, I know we had a conversation about this a long time ago, like going back and changing your actual story and the way that you remember things. Mm. Like, like sitting lit- in meditation, like if I want a six pack, this is where yeah. the story came in. I was actually took a little bit of mushrooms and was meditating. And I thought about this and I'm like, okay, if everything is happening in the eternal present moment, then the even my, the, my physical body looks the way it is because I have this idea of what I've done in the past to get to where I'm at. So what if I change the story of my past and actually believe wholeheartedly that I've done 30 minutes of crunches for the last six months, would all of a sudden a six pack start forming in this now? And that's a really crazy concept to think about. Yeah, because I think the problem there is that's belief Mm. and it can't be belief. It just has to be is, you know? It's the knowing. Yeah, it can't be like, I'm remembering me doing the crunches. Like, no, no, no. It's got to be like it did. Yes, yes, yes. And that's the, the, have you read the autobiography of a yogi with Yogananda? Oh, of course. Yeah, and he talks about, I mean, back, it's fascinating how our cultures and stories, but back then it was like, you know, being plumper was better and like more attractive and means you're wealthier. And he had a point in his life where he wanted to be more plump. And like overnight, he believed the story and he like gained 40 pounds. Yep. And his sister saw him and was like, oh my gosh, what happened? He's like, I just... Yeah. Boom, just change it in my mind. Yeah. You know, you're not rich. You just, you're fat now. Damn it. And that's the whole idea of manifestation, right? Calling in, you know, in order to become a millionaire, it's not what you go do to get a million dollars. You have to be the person that has a million dollars first and that million dollars will find you. Yeah, exactly. It's the do, be, have complex. You find that frequency and like, then you're just like, yeah, I don't know. It's weird as fuck, but like, well, like Ciara, like, I feel like I've helped her a lot with abundance as of late. And Ciara is your partner. Yeah. Just for anybody that's listening. And she, in like three weeks, sold her house on Instagram, realized she got approved for the PVP loan. Like had all these like crazy abundant things just like flow to her. Mm. And like, when is like, when is that happening? Well, she's tuned into abundance and she's focusing on like fostering a new life and getting ready to give birth and not being able to work and everything. So the universe is like, yeah, here you go. Here's your maternity leave from the universe. You know? And that's how, like, when we tune into that frequency, those are the people that you're just like, I don't get it. Like, everything good happens for that person. It's yeah. Like, like, oh, I wish I was like that person. Or they're so lucky. And yep. then you're in the victim mindset. Yeah. You're actually calling in the things that you think you're lacking, which is that scarcity mindset. Yes. And that's what it comes down to self-awareness. And even the work doesn't have to be like, oh, I had all these traumas and I'm trying to change. It's like, what is my story around money? Yep. Like, our culture and our society puts a story around money that... 
you know, money is evil. People that have money are bad. And like that will keep money from finding you and you will stay where you're at. But if you believe that money is just an energy source and you can call it in and it's, you can do good things with it and it will help impact your life in a positive way and impact the world. And you start actually truly believing that, not thinking it, but believing it, then money will find you. And it's really fascinating. And it is, it is a magic power. Yeah. And you, you start with yourself. I mean, cause money's just value and you mm-hmm. just have to feel valuable. Just a number on the screen. Yeah. Like, and t- the easiest way to make money and feel valuable is to like do things for your friends. Mm, like you I literally give, start right? there. You're just like, Hey, can I help you with this? Can I help you with this? And then like, little, you know, like someone else is like, Hey, yeah, that guy helped me with this. And he's like super good at it. And then you're like, yeah, yeah, I could help you. And he's like, cool. How much? And you're like, Oh, cool, I'll assign a value to this, I guess. And you just keep moving that way. And like, that's how you become rich. It's like Mm. social capital, like internal capital, and then the capital comes. Yeah. And what's the value you're bringing to reality to be rewarded with the energy back in the form of money? Exactly. First, you have to have a value to give energetically and that energy will find you back. And a lot of time in our incentive structure, that isn't a form of money, which is turning into numbers on a screen, which is a whole nother conversation. Well, and that's like the, you know, going back to the Jack Dorsey community, let's say he funds everyone's stuff guarantee because that community has so much internal wealth that they just get rich as fuck with wealth outside of it. All Mm. the other value pours in and people are like, they make the best goods. They do the best thing. Like, you know, like all that. And like, you're just like money, money, money. It's like Elon Musk. He's like, I'm going to be a minimalist. Now I have $200 billion. It's like, <laughs> bro, that's not being a minimalist. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. You know what I mean? But that's it's the like, way the energy of the universe works. It, it, the energy gives you what you believe you're worth. Exactly. And that's just the law of nature. Yep. There's, no, there's just a secret sauce. Yeah. And it gives you what others believe you are worth. Because mm, no. it's all connected. Yeah. Beautiful. Last question for you. I know yes. we're coming up on time. What do you think happens when we die? just a loop just a loop infinite yeah. loop yeah i think it's just the infinite loop i mean it's this thing is like you know it's such a taboo in our reality to even talk about death yeah. and uh not knowing i think leads to a lot of our problems it's the ultimate yes. fear of the unknown right and when you've gone through a you know like both of us have big transitions in our life and we've stepped into the unknown and we realize that's where we feel most alive that's yes. where the magic happens because when you're in an unknown environment out of your routine you actually have to be present yep. and when you're more, more most present you actually are open to what the universe is trying to give you. And so being in the unknown, but that, that ultimate unknown is death. Yeah. And nobody really knows and we can't know. No. That's why it comes back to this surrender and it's, it's good to believe concepts, but we don't really know. And it is infinite. Yeah. So it what is. happens when we die? I don't know. Like, do we go back up to source? And that's why this idea circling back to when, you know, feel like, I feel like, you know, you, me, I have this innate wisdom in me. I don't know where it came from. So I like to think, okay, there's gotta be some kind of, reincarnation of yes. my soul that has been around a while because I don't know, like, I, and I'm so grateful for it because I'm in this human body and like all of a sudden this innate wisdom comes through. I'm like, fuck, I'm so grateful. Yeah. And this is so beautiful. I don't know why I was so blessed with this. And it just, you know, it just makes me believe that there is like more to this experience totally. than just, you know, do we go back to source and that's it. And then we come back. For it. No, there's levels and levels and levels. I feel like it's, I love the book, uh, journey of souls. No, it's just check like, that one out. yeah, it's, I mean, it's beautiful. And it's just, they talk about, you know, like you're, you find your soul tribe and like all these things, some of it, I don't agree with, you know, but a lot of it, the ideas of it and the ascendant of souls and the new learning and the coming back and the choosing the experience. I believe all that. And then I also love this fucking movie where with Jason, I forget the guy from I love you, man. And yep. where his dad figures out 
that when someone dies, they find the pe- like the weight changes in the body and they measure it oh, and it yeah. goes onto a screen and it shows the person back. Like they follow that neuron that, and they show the person back in their old life at a scene. And they realize that when they die, they go back to a point in their life, which they regretted and they get to change it and keep living forward. And then that's the infinite timelines that you keep going yeah. back and then you keep shifting it, shifting yep. it, shifting it. Yep. And it goes on forever. Or maybe you just go back to you live your best fucking life. And then it's like, your soul's like, cool, we're done with this one. Let's go to the next one. Like we figured it out. It took 45 lifetimes, but yeah. finally did it. Okay. Even this idea and this concept of like everything happens in this moment yeah. and every, even the, the memories that we have are all stemmed from right now. So yeah. what if we just got plugged into the matrix in this moment and we have this illusion that we're living in a linear time, but this is just, we just got plugged in right now. Yeah. Yeah. Like, but we have this story that we believe we lived up to I, this point. I love that one. There's a, uh, and there's definitely some truth in that though yeah. too, right? Cause yeah. if everything does stem from the present moment, then every memory that we have is coming, stemming from now. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, I forget which philosopher that was his thing, but it was like, what if, you know, this morning you woke up embedded with all the memories of the past and all the feelings and everything, but it's like, this is your first day being conscious. Yeah. And every day you wake up in a yeah. new reality, but you think that you've yeah. lived that lifetime. And if that happens infinitum, then maybe we never actually die because <laughs> we're always just living yeah. in different Definitely. lifetimes, plugged in in different experiences. But we believe that we've been living the experience for a whole lifetime. Yep. Infinitely. This will probably all shift when we have kids. Yeah, exactly. Because then we'll be like, oh, okay. <laughs> no, 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 this happens. <laughs> <laughs> And we'll have another conversation. Exactly. My man, I really appreciate you taking the time, Mm -hmm. dude. And I love our conversations. I definitely would love to hear anybody listening to this, what you thought of it. And, um, you know, if you have any questions for us and we just barely scratched the surface on some of the topics that we talk about when we party. If everybody partied like we did (laughs) and talked about how to change the world, I think the world would be a lot better place. It'd be fucking amazing. Yeah. (laughs) I love it, man. Um, Go ahead and plug where people can find you if you want. Um, Anything you're working on. The Austin Floyd on Instagram or Attention Labs, A-T-T-N-L-A-B-S.com. That's where I do my marketing. Um, but if you want to talk about consciousness stuff, just DM me. I feel like that's the easiest way. I'm going to put up the website, AustinFloyd.com eventually, but I've been kind of too many projects. Yeah, that'll be on the show notes and yeah. it might not be active, but yeah. go check it out. Yeah. And yeah, if you are uh, looking for any marketing help, uh, Austin is a marketing whiz, yes. one of the best in the business for digital marketing and all that. And So go check that out. Really appreciate you, brother. Love you. Yeah, I love you too, man. All right, huge thank you to Austin for sharing all that wisdom. I mean, I I literally could talk to that man all day. I'm so grateful that he's my neighbor. And, you know, I have my baby on the way due any minute now. She'll be due by the time this is released. And Austin's not too far behind me with a baby of his own, I think a month or two away as well. And so going on this uh, journey of fatherhood with uh, such an amazing man, uh, I'm really stoked about that. Um, and just, you know, I'd love to, to hear your guys' thoughts on what you thought of the conversation. And if you have any questions for Austin, I definitely will be having him on again so we can dive deeper into some of these topics. And if there's any questions you have for him, uh, reach out to me. Uh, probably the best way is to email me, follow my newsletter. It's in the show notes and email me uh, some questions and your thoughts. And obviously, if you enjoyed this podcast, please review it, rate it, share it with your friends. It goes a long way in helping me grow the audience and uh, you know share this positive, loving message with the world and bringing on um, people that really have you know these deep thoughts about the unanswerable questions and what it all means, which I'm beginning to realize 
nobody knows, which is kind of the beauty of it. Um, all that stuff's in the show notes. I love y'all. And thank you so much for the continued support. Peace.